Yeah. Hey, Seth. What's up, brother? It's Jabron. How are you? Hold on. Let me go. Is my kids playing Fortnite? Oh. <laughs> yeah, take your time. Okay. So what's up, man? Not much. Hey, listen. I'm so sorry. I'm calling you a little bit later than we had agreed to. It's um, it was just a little bit of a technical challenge for me to figure out how to get the phone integrated into the soundboard here. So. Um, all good yeah man hey listen i just wanted to talk to you a little bit um you know for the for this podcast that i'm running i am interested in in the work that you're doing with uh with team no sleep and fight to win pro um i think it's just an important part of the jujitsu scene right now um you know moving moving to um, a super fight platform that can really showcase the the art in all of its beauty so i was just kind of hoping to just talk to you a little bit about your personal martial arts journey um, what got you going with fight to win pro, how you sort of got the idea for it. And, um, you know, maybe have you touch a little bit on the grind of it. I mean, I see you practically in a different major American city every weekend that can't be easy on you and your family. Um, so mm -hmm. yeah, just wherever you want to, wherever you want to jump in. Um, what, what, what events do you have coming up? Uh, we go to Philadelphia, uh, this weekend. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah. You know, I was just talking to, um, I was just talking to Marcos Yamaso, uh, about, about you as well. I don't know if you're able to catch that last episode. I love that. It's, yeah. He's like one of my favorite people from the sport, if not my favorite. Yeah. Well, let me tell That's you. That's probably been one of the things about, about this entire journey is, is not only, you know, when you get into this, obviously, you know all the big names. You know who they are, the Galbaos and Lovatos and stuff like that. But throughout the past, you know, two and a half years, you get a chance to meet guys like Yamato and Elliot Kelly and, you know, other people in Northern California. You know, you become good friends with these people. And it just really, you know, really uh, opened up, you know, a, a world not only of jujitsu to me, but a ton of, you know, great new friendships. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I got that sense from, I got that sense from Yamaso right away when I talked to him that like this guy is just like so incredibly dedicated, but also really, um, just a good man, you know. Um, just when I talked to him, he, you know, there wasn't any like real room for bullshit when I talked to him. He's just very clearly focused on being the best jujitsu practitioner he can be, and focused on being the very best sort of competitor that he can be, and running the best academy that, yeah. that he can. I've told people this before. I mean, I've, I've rolled with everyone, and I think, I mean, I no disrespect to, you know, a lot of people I've gone with, but I think Yamasa is probably the best person I've ever trained with. No shit. You know, he, I, I explain while training with him, it's like you're drowning. <laughs> it's like there's nowhere to go, and you can't get out of, it's like it's a relentless pressure, you know? And it's just, he's, he's incredible, man. Yeah. That's high praise. He's just straight. That's high praise. I mean, you're, you're a black belt yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've been, um, I started doing martial arts when I was three. I did judo and, um, I was a, uh, was a 10 time, uh, junior national judo champion and a high school national champion. Um, and then I, um, I, uh, I wrestled and I was a state high school wrestling champion. And then I uh, moved to the Olympic training center to do judo and, uh, got hit by the injury bug, um, almost instantly when I moved up here. What happened? And, um, so 
some major injuries and uh, had to have a bunch of surgeries and uh, it was like knees, just, shoulders. I got, what? Go ahead. It was like knees, shoulders, um, like knees. I had I had biaxial shoulder surgery when I was 19 years old to shave my collarbones to create cartilage for my AC joints because I'd worn out all the cartilage in my shoulders, and I have rheumatoid arthritis in my hands. Oh my god! And um, when I was nine, when I was 19, it was just honestly, it was just a little too much for me to deal with. It was just kind of like. You know, I just, I, I had a good job. I was working and I kind of got addicted to making money. And didn't really, I I was behind Jimmy Pedro and I was behind Ryan Reeser for making the Olympic team. And I didn't see a path to beat Travis Stevens or Rick Hahn or any of that stuff. Just, you know, just kind of a short-sighted quitter mentality, you know. And I just, just like, fuck it. I'm just going to, I'm just going to work. You know, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, I'm tired of being hurt all the time. And I did, I quit. I quit doing everything. And then when, uh, you know, about five years later, I walked into a tattoo shop, which was, uh, and <laughs> my artist no-showed me that I had scheduled. And then I wound up uh, getting rescheduled. Um, to, to, I would wind up getting rescheduled and put with uh, – uh, who's now a three-stripe black belt, Josh Ford. And he taught me into okay. coming and doing jiu-jitsu. And, um, you know, it, it all went from there. What, um, when you, when you look back on that, on that time, I mean, so Travis Stevens, you know, pretty hard to, you know, pretty tough go at it. If you're, if you're behind him for the Olympic team, it's like, I don't know, like this guy's a fucking animal, right? Like, well, and you're, you're battling injuries really yourself. Matter, it's a matter of, you know, I, I lived at the Olympic Training Center, so you're in the room, you know, and at the time it was like Jimmy Pedro was the guy, you know, and then after Jimmy, it was going to be Ryan Reeser, and then coming underneath me was Travis Stevens, Nick DiPopolo, and like Rick Hahn, and all these kids, and I just like, I saw the grind that they had in the room, and I, I knew their skill level and their talent, and I just, I didn't see it. You, you know, did, I didn't, you didn't see I that didn't in you. My future is, you know, grinding it out for eight to 12 years, trying to get a spot on a team. When I saw these guys coming and I just, I just felt like I didn't have it. Yeah. And I, 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 I still think I made the right decision. I wish I would have gotten right into jujitsu immediately, you know, or right into fighting MMA or something, you know, instead of taking five years off to fucking do a bunch of drugs and party and work, but you know, it is what it is. You know, that's the mistakes you make as a, as a kid, you know, when everything's short sighted and you just take the path of least resistance, you know? Yeah. You know, I mean, t to be honest, I feel like a lot of grapplers have that same sort of, um, you know, lost three to five years. You know, I, I wrestled in college, but it truthfully, truthfully, it wasn't like, it wasn't the level of dedication that I hold myself now even to. It was just sort of showing up, you know, two or three times a week to sort of club wrestle, you know, semi-competitively, but not really. Like I wasn't living the martial lifestyle, you know. I was, you know, partying yeah. and chasing skirt and hanging out with friends and skipping practice here and there. And so, like, I didn't really develop as a grappler in those, you know, in those four years. I just sort of kind of didn't lose the skill set. I think for a lot of people, they're just kind of like... You know, fighting is one of those things where it's like you kind of like look at everything else life has to offer, and then and then it's kind of like, okay, I guess I'm gonna fight. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. 
what type of uh, what type of work were you doing that you like when you were 19 you were um you're making you said you were making well, a little I, bit of change for I, yourself I businesses when i was a kid I, I was really i was in the collectibles okay and um so like at nine years old i opened my own uh collectible business i was selling comic books and uh baseball cards and then i bought a store when i was uh 15 and i was no shit seth you're, um, you're an entrepreneur what's that you're an entrepreneur yeah, I started with my dad, and then I, I, I took it off on my own. I was doing comic books, baseball cards, um, hosting magic tournaments, uh, collectible auctions, uh, furniture auctions, and shit like that. And I was doing really well, and I kind of burned out on that when I was like 17 or 18 years old. I got a job at 24 Hour Fitness as a personal trainer, and um, that, you know, that over time, I became a fitness manager then like the top salesperson in the company and then sales manager then a general manager then a district manager and i worked there for you know a solid 10 years oh wow got burnt out on that scene as well no man like they fucking like they sold the company in uh 2004 i think and like when i first started working there it was fun man i mean it was like it was kind of like boiler room, you know, it was like, <laughs> we were, I mean, I was, I was making, dude, I was making like a quarter million a year when I was like 20 years old, Fuck, are you, serious? you know, and like, I was, I was making crazy money and it was fun and they fly us out to California and you'd be at a party, like I party with Magic Johnson and, you know, like fucking all these celebrities and, you Wait, know, these so guys were fucking, you, you're just doing making coke in the back. It was fucking insane same and then they sold it and everything got like super professional and uh, um, bummer. i never fit in to the new structure of how things went you know and i fought it for like five years and it just i just never fit into the new mold of what they wanted i was still so attached to how it was and you know gradually when you get bought you know it's like ufc fighters are finding out you know and a major corporation buys you, the first thing they do is they cut their payroll. And so they started downsizing and replacing all of us with people to take our jobs, you know, out of Circuit City and Home Depot for $60,000 a year instead of paying us two fifty. And uh, they let me go in 2009, and I sued the fuck out of them for wrongful termination. No shit, did you win? And uh, the, money I, the money I got from that is what helped me create and start Fight to Win. No shit. Wait, so so yeah. let me let me let me walk through this a little bit because you know every time I go into the twenty four hour fitness, uh, at least here in downtown Sacramento, I see like the the sales manager talking to the to the sales guys, like and they're just like having that conversation in the open floor. Like I can hear them, you know, like well, how many calls are you making today? Are you out there, you know, like upselling yeah, and blah 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 blah. This is just how it is now. Like when we were working, man, I was putting in when I was a sales counselor. I was putting 91 hours a week. I was working nine, oh my God. 8 a.m. till 9, six days a week. Oh and God. fucking making three, oh, I was fucking killing it, you know? <laughs> and it was like, that was the grind. And I got addicted to it. And I got addicted to making money. And I got addicted to the work. And got addicted to the, the praise and the, the, the accolation and, and, and all the, that comes with it. And I think that's part of why I'm still doing this kind of thing the way I work now. It's like I got addicted to this when I was 
18, 19 years old. And it's, it's just like a, it's like a heroin, you know, it's like, it's a drug to me. It's, 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 it's the, the satisfaction you get out of doing a good job and, and making your own paycheck. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so you, you sue them for wrongful termination. You actually win and you got a little bit of startup cash. And so how do you get the vision for fight to win pro? Well, fight to win started in 2008. So I actually started fight to win before I even got fired from 24 hour fitness. We were a turn. We, we host uh, just regular open tournaments and, okay. um, I started doing that because there was only one tournament in uh, Colorado at the time, and it was run by um, my former um, one of my former coaches and friends that passed away, Mauricio Zangano. He had actually lost the tournament company to his ex-wife in a divorce, to and cat. he was just a fucking stripper that inherited a tournament. So the only person promoting jiu-jitsu tournaments in Colorado was a former stripper that had zero tie to jiu-jitsu other than she had gotten divorced and won it in a lawsuit. And Crazy. I grew up, my dad was a big, my dad was a big, my dad was like the president of U.S. Judo. And so he, he hosted tournaments. And so I helped him do bracketing and all that shit when I was a kid. And, you know, I've been hosting uh, tournaments um, for my G.I. Joes and He-Man characters, like, since I was, like, six. I'm talking, like, complex 72-man brackets. Yeah, yeah. And those... charge pools. Yeah. So, like, I know how to do brackets. I've known how to since fucking He-Man fought Mothman and, <laughs> you know, Thor was, was fighting Lion-Eye. You know, like, since I was a little kid, I hosted these tournaments in my room with on poster board these huge brackets I would draw up, you know? I mean, these, <laughs> these tournaments would take weeks to complete you know it's like i did match number and all that i'm not kidding you know, i'm talking about like eight years old full bracketing no, my you dad know. will come in and look at my bracket and be like no you screwed up here because loser of 32 go down here like the whole thing like i literally learned how to draw brackets when i was a little kid so yeah. like i got I introduced with uh to brackets with uh magic the gatherings i you know i suspect you and i probably aren't the only magic the gathering nerds in the jujitsu world but I played a lot of fucking you know, magic, you know, and it's it's all brackets, just like you said. Made a lot of money off kids playing magic, um, <laughs> but um, learned how to do the bracketing when I was super young. And her tournaments were so fucking horrible. I was like, man, I could have run this tournament when I was like seven and done a better job. And then I was like, you know what, fucking, I'm just gonna do it. And so I started running the tournament, you know, in our first one, we only had like 80 people and I think half of them were my team and they were free. And then we did good. And then the second tournament, you know, we had like 200 and then I made enough money off that to be able to host my first MMA show. And then, uh, probably didn't make any money off that. And then I had my third tournament I had like 475 and then it just started climbing and climbing and climbing. And we started doing the MMA shows and the tournaments. And, you know, that was pretty much the progress for about four years. We started doing tournaments all over the country, hosting MMA shows, you know, mainly in Texas, California, Colorado, North Dakota. And then, um, you know, our tournaments, we still host tournaments in Colorado and one in Texas. And we, we get over 1,500 competitors that do our tournaments. But, um, you know, what happened was I got really burnt out. I started promoting rock concerts, too. And I got really burnt out on the concert scene and the, the MMA scene. Like, I mean, I, I got really fucking burned out on MMA. It, and, um, it seems like there's more fuckery in MMA. 
I hate it. And yeah, yeah. mainly the fight the worst part of that what, fucking sport sorry you you um you, you cut up there say, say say that again what's the worst part of the mma sport there's themselves oh. you know i i they just they're, they're so entitled and and it's just you know I, I i've done this interview a thousand times and i always say this it's like when somebody walks into a gym and they want to get a fight they'll go in and they'd be like you know i want i want to fight teach me how to fight you know or get me a fight when somebody walks into a jiu-jitsu gym, they say, I, I'd like to learn jiu-jitsu. So it's the difference of, like, in the entitlement of teach me to do something, I'm going to do it, or the, the difference of I want to learn. You know what I mean? And it's just that mentality yeah. that I feel like I'm the maker. And um, not all of them, you know, but the majority of them that I worked with, they're just a bunch of pieces of shit. And I fucking hated it, you know? And, I mean, obviously there's some more than others that made it really bad for me to where I hate I. I genuinely hated the sport. And now, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't say I, I despise it, but, like, I can watch, like, if I know someone that's a good person that I'm friends with fighting in the UFC, I'll watch it. Otherwise, I have zero interest in turning on MMA and watching it, like, ever, you know? I haven't been to a live MMA show since UFC 200 because Kat was fighting. She's, like, my sister. You know, it's just, it's just something I ha I've lost all my interest in. But before I, I, I completely burned out of it, I had taken on a few investors and spent about half a million dollars on production equipment for concerts and stage fights. And so I got to this point where I was just like, man, I, I fucking hate this so much, but I took these people's money to, to, to do this so I got to come up with something or I, I got to keep doing it. And so I was talking to my wife and I was just like, the only thing I like doing is jujitsu and I like putting on the party. And she was like, well, why don't you just start throwing jujitsu parties? And I was like, man, ain't nobody going to fucking come to watch that. And then she was like, well, what if we, what if we made it more, more spectator friendly? What if you change the rules and you make it a party and you make it to where people will want to watch it. And, you know, we, we, we changed the whole system of people paying to compete and we pay them to compete. And we run it just like we run the MMA shows. We just, you know, we do it this way. And so we tried it in Denver and it was really successful. Then we played in Texas. And those were our, our main markets we were in. And then our big risk came when we went to San Diego. And, um, you know, it's so funny hindsight you know i mean it, it it seems like it was so long ago and it was only two years ago that we didn't fight from pro five in san diego and um just trying to get people on the show was it was like pulling fucking teeth man Why is like, that? and i knew andre got right like i knew him like we were cool i knew andre i knew um mikey perez and a couple other people in Cal, I mean, I'm talking a handful of people, five people maybe, I knew in San Diego. And to get them to trust me that I was actually going to do this event, that I was actually going to pay them when I said I was going to pay them because of fucking Halleck, yeah, it was yeah. like, I mean, our first application, we didn't get enough applications for San Diego to put an event on, that we had to go and extend applications two weeks just to get enough people to do the show. In fucking San Diego. And now, 
for San Diego, yeah. the number one market in the country for jujitsu. That's you know? fucking crazy. And now, like, we go to fucking, you know, some small-ass market and get 300 people apply for the show, you know? But I think a lot of that, a lot of that comes from being honest with people and being straight with them, you know? Even when we lose money, they never know because we pay exactly what we say we're going to pay. These guys don't make a ton of money, you know, but they make more than amateur MMA fighters make. Yeah. You know, they, they, they make more than they, they pay traveling the country to waste their money competing in IBJJF, you know? So, I mean... Is IBJJF a total waste of time? No, it's not. I mean, it, everybody's got their own their own goals and aspirations for what they want to do, you know? I mean, yeah. some people could care less about competing on a stage and at a party like what we do. Some people could give a, give a shit about the growth of jiu-jitsu. Some people just want to go get that medal in a division of three. They don't care. I mean, everybody has different goals. As long as you have something that you're striving towards, um, you know, I, th I think it's good. Do I think that the process of what IBJJF does is good for the sport? No, I think it's fucking horrible. I think that they're limiting of techniques and they are wanting to control everything and forcing people to buy a stupid fucking membership card. Like, no. like you don't like they really need to spend an extra $40 after spending $122 for single elimination tournament after traveling across the country is a fucking ripoff. Yes, I think it is. But at the same time, you know, a ton of people train for it. A ton of people, live that life, you know? And I think all competition's good. I just don't think what they do helps grow the sport. I think what we do helps grow the sport because we put it into the eyes of people that wouldn't normally see it, and we make it to where it's something that, you know, gets viral on Facebook, and people share photos, and people share shots of the production, and they bring their friends, and it's something their friends can see and say, hey, I want to do that. I, I can do that. And then they go, and they go in the gym, you know? So, I mean, I think that they both work in for different people, you know? Some people have no interest in what we're doing. Guys, I'm going to come to Hey, guys, can you go downstairs? I'm going to interview. And, um, you know, so it's just one of those things, you know, it's, for some people, it's a waste of time. For me, it's a huge waste of time. Um, you know, but for some people, it's 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 their life. That's what they do. So, you know, I, in my opinion, any type of competition that you do outside of, you know, noggin and grappling industries is not a huge. Is not you know a waste of your time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's um, you know, there, there's folks that that won't even compete at IBJJF now because there's tournaments like EBI and Fight to Win and. Kazai and you know I mean there's that's got to feel pretty good right I mean everything that you said and I'm just going to be totally transparent like I, I agree with you like I think that IBJJF has sort of like benefited from having a monopoly on competition jiu-jitsu for so long that they've sort of been getting away with murder but there's guys now that won't even won't even compete in IBJJF that's got to feel pretty good right for you to yeah. like feel like you're changing the scene um, it's like Competition is competition. You should always be competing. I think you should be selective with who you give your money to when you compete. I think IBJJF, in my opinion, should be giving back a whole lot more than they do, um, you know, for how much they make. But then again, it's their business. You know, they can make as much money as they want. You know, um, I don't see things the same way. But I'm also, I'm 
fucking American from Texas. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, they're Brazilian. Like, it's the same yeah. culture. It's not the same mindset. It's not you the know? same values. It's, just, it's different. We, it is what it is, you know? I mean, people want to give their money to them and compete and go chase those those medals and, you know, go for it. You know, I'm not saying not do it. You know, I'm just saying when something comes to town like this and you have the opportunity to showcase your, your, your skill set in front of all your friends and family, don't hide behind your computer and talk about how you're not into sub only because all you like to do is get guard pass and stall and side control and get a fucking spectator medal for being in division of three. I'm just saying if you're going to do, if you're, if you're, if you're going to go chase those medals and you shouldn't be afraid to step on the stage as well. And I think that's one of the biggest problems I see from people that are predominantly IBJJJF fighters is that they get so accustomed to that rule set that they limit their growth in their own personal jujitsu development. Yeah. Yeah. Let me, let me ask you something. You, you clearly know the business of running tournaments very well. You know, the business of sort of putting these shows on, uh, <laughs> I like that you called it a party because I, you know, when I go to when I go to fight to win, it's a party. So I like that that you called it that because I think that's really what it is. Um, IBJJF tournaments, since you know you know sort of like what kind of money goes into putting a tournament on. I mean, are they just making money hand over fist? Are they just keeping all the money and not giving anything back? I mean, I don't I don't want to speak for anybody's business. I don't know how they run it. I know that I know that my tournaments cost me over forty thousand dollars to put on. No shit. And that's that's a pretty great, and that's for a, a local tournament, you know. But I, I mean, I do really well off my tournaments, you know. My tournament business. Hold on one second. Yeah, take your time. Um, my tournament business is what funds Fight to Win Pro. Fight to Win Pro doesn't make that much money, you know. We make enough to pay the bills and to pay our fighters, but it's it's definitely not a cash cow. Oh, okay. You know. Uh, the equipment and everything that we buy um, and the operation of the whole thing is definitely, you know, comes from, you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul for sure. No shit. Cause I, you know, when, when I go to fight to win pro, I just see, I just see all the tables and I'm not a business guy. So I don't know. It's like, I just see all the people and I was like, Oh man, everybody, everybody paid, you know, 30 to 60 bucks to, to come in the door. And so I'm just, you know, adding up the change, but you must be paying out quite a bit of money and yeah, just sort of, no, I'll, give you the, I'll give you the math on it. Yeah. So say we, do, um, say we do, you know, a thousand or average, average show, we pull a thousand people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you pull a thousand people, right. Say the average person spends $50, yeah. right. So that's $50,000, right? Yep. Well, you pay the fighters 20% of that in ticket commissions, right? Because we have no other way of selling tickets other than through the fighters. It's the only way we sell tickets. Okay. There's no ticket master. There's no, there's no other way. You have to pick a fighter to come to our show, okay? So now that's $40,000. The average show cost for us is $38,650. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Which yields us fifteen hundred dollars in profit per show. Now that's after doors, okay? So all the money that we bring in from the ticket sales goes to paying the venue, paying the fighters, paying um, our travel, paying you know I have a pretty large staff, paying their salaries, paying for the entire production, all that stuff. 
if we make more in ticket sales than what the event costs, that money goes straight to the fighters. Okay? At the end of each show, and we are really good about this, we hit zero. Okay? That's after everything is paid, I'm at zero. But what you don't see is the back end of the money I make from slow grappling and from uh, our sponsors. And that's what is our profit. Oh, got it. So literally dollar that goes into these events that goes into the show gets given back to the fighters. All the money, the black that we make comes from the, the streaming and the sponsorships. So it's my job to be able to balance that budget so well to hit zero every time. And we've hit that zero mark, you know, fuck, we've done 70 shows, I'd say 63 times. Wow. So, you know, 63 times out of 70, we've been able to break even on these events, which nobody, I mean, nobody's ever done as many events as we have, but to be able to do that is just a massive amount of financial management skills for not just myself, but for Missy and my wife doing the venues and and Missy doing the travel and, and getting everything down to a science, you know? So our goal every time is to walk away and not, oh, hey, hey, sorry. Hey, drop that. (laughs) Raven. Sorry, she's eating a Nerf dart. Oh, no. Stop. (laughs) This is my life. Um, (laughs) So it's a bulldog, not a child. Oh. And so um, that's really how it breaks down. But to the eyes of people when they walk in, you know, they don't, you don't know what it is. You know, you say, oh, there's. There's 5,000 people here. No, there's not. There's maybe 1,200. <laughs> like, <laughs> our biggest crowd we've ever had is 1,500 people. <laughs> so, I mean, it's not well, It's not 5,000. It's, it's 1,500 max. And if it costs, if we got 1,500 people there, we probably spent $60,000 on the show. And that, that, that's just the truth of it, and that's just the way it works. Got it, got it. If you don't mind, I mean, it, can we explore? So the flow grappling model is they pay you for the content. So they pay you for how many subscribers they think that you bring in, or is just sort of for the value that you bring to the to the show, to the streaming no, service. It's a, no, it's like a it's a massive contract. That's oh. like a it was like a four year contract that we did, and it ebbs and flows depending on who's on the card and stuff like that. I can't really go over sure, discuss sure. the finances behind that. Totally cool. Um, totally but, cool. Um, that, that's, I mean, but honestly, I mean, that's, that's how we, that's how we, you know, pay the bills, you know, that's, that's how, you know, I support my family of seems like 30 with my whole staff, oh you know what goodness. I mean? It's like my family of, of five or six, however many kids I have. And then, <laughs> um, you know, my extended family of my staff and their families and <laughs> that's how we survive, you know I mean? But the most important thing to us is we love what we're doing and we're having fun doing it. Yeah, and you're, you know, and you're giving once back, it really. not fun anymore, it doesn't matter how much money we make because I'll quit doing it just like I did MMA. So if it gets to the point where this shit's not fun anymore, you'll know because it will literally just stop because <laughs> that's how I am. It'll literally just end. <laughs> That'll be the end of it, you know? Yeah. But uh, as of right now, I'm, ha- I'm having a great time, you know, and I, I love what I'm doing and I... I like, I love the grind of it. You know, I mean, it's, I'd say it's tough on my family, but I mean, we have it all down to a science now, you know, it's like, are you guys always traveling you know, together? I mean, it's like, no, I mean, I'm only gone 48 hours a week. 
Well, it's not so too it's bad. like I leave 6 a.m. and I come back Saturday morning at 6 a.m. So I'm gone 48 hours a week, you know. Um, so I'm really not gone that much, you know. I mean, people ask me all the time, like, how do you do this every week? I'm like, well, motherfucker, how do you get up and go to your job every week? It's the same thing. <laughs> you know, you fucking go into work and you punch your clock and you you fucking do what your boss tells you to do for 40, 50 hours a week. The only difference is, you know, my, I have to make my own paychecks. You get, you know, some corporation somewhere, you know, telling you what you're worth and, and, and paying you based on what you're told to do. And in my world, I make my own checks and I'm literally paid on what I'm worth. Yeah. You know, on how smart I am and how, how I'm able to manage my business. That's that's just how it works. Seth, Seth, did you go to biz, did you go to business school? Did you get your MBA? I mean, where'd you get all these financial management skills to you know to? Fuck your... uh, no. Yeah, dude. I didn't. I didn't I went think to, you did. <laughs> I I went to. I mean, I went to co- I I failed out of college after fucking six months. I had like a point seven GPA. I was so lazy in high school, you know, because like when you're a badass athlete and you're a state champ and you get a scholarship, like. You don't care. Everything's done for you, you know? So I've just, I let my sister enroll me in my classes in college and she put me in a bunch of science stuff. <laughs> Fucking, I didn't even go, I went to like three classes and I was like, I'm not doing this shit. I don't, I'm not doing chemistry or biology. So I didn't know that you couldn't just not go and you'd still get graded on it. I thought <laughs> if you didn't go, they just dropped you and it didn't count. Cause you know, I was like, I didn't have to pay for it. It was free. You know, so I like, <laughs> I failed all my except for freshman orientation. And, and, um, cause I just didn't go. I didn't know I had to. And so I tried to, I got interested in business when I started doing really well at 24 hour fitness because I wanted to get into management and I wanted to take man- management leadership classes. So I was able to do that for the first, second semester. And then I want tried to switch over to business school and they're like, well, you can't because you have a 0.7 GPA. And I was like, what the fuck? I- A's and B's in, in my three classes. They're like, yeah, but you didn't attend the other nine that you picked and you got zeros on all of them. So I, I, I just, you know, out of pure laziness and not knowing and not paying attention to stuff, I failed out of college. Oh, so I only really went to like, and then, um, you know, I mean, really working at 24 hour fitness, it, it really was like, <laughs> I mean, like I said, it was like boiler room. It was like, you want to learn how to run a business and learn how to bend the rules and learn how to manage a PNL. It is a perfect company to learn how to learn under. And so I, I mean, I was managing a thousand people when I was 21, you know, and, but the main thing I learned was you, you get what you put in, you know, and you get what you deserve. That's just how it is, you know? So, I mean, I just, I put in a ton of work and I still do. I put in a, a ton of work and you know sometimes it pays up most times it pays off sometimes it doesn't but a lot of this job comes to risk but uh, uh, risk and, and gut feeling you know sometimes you just get a good feeling about a show or a someone or something and sometimes you get a bad feeling you got to listen to your gut and you gotta you gotta look at all the the you know it, you know your your guesses and your your you know, what you think is going to happen. And, but when it comes down to it, you just got to do it and see what happens. What is your, um, 
what's your day-to-day look like since you're only gone you're only gone like 48 hours of the week you're the other like monday through thursday you're promoting the shows you're doing work online you're, you're getting fighters how does that work like what what's... um so generally a week for me like my week really starts on sunday so like sunday is like the day after i get home from a show right yeah so like Sunday, I'm usually finishing a fight card that's four weeks out, right? So I'm finishing the. That's my usually my last day of matching a card that's four weeks from today, and tying up the the loose ends from the show the week before. Stop! Hey, hey, no, stop it. Um, going to my kids' sports games, and you know that's like my first day of training for the week. Like Sunday's my Monday, you know. Okay. So I go to hot yoga go do a private with my professor, go to, go to a class. And then, um, Monday, you know, got strength and conditioning, chiropractor trained for two hours. So I got like four hour block in the morning of training. And then it's just matchmaking, putting up posters. Um, you know, and that's pretty much what I do Monday through, through Wednesdays. Honestly, it's just matchmaking, putting out advertising. Calm down, Nala. Jesus. Sorry, it's my Greyhound. All good, bro. Um, yeah, so, you know, it's just matchmaking, putting out posters, running my kids around, hanging out with my kids, uh, training in Monday through Wednesday. Thursday, you hop on a flight at 5 a.m. You know, you go, you we touch down in the place. Crew sets up everything while I get everything ready for the next day, you know, for music and sound and video and um, – you know, try to do some matchmaking and promoting for whatever shows are coming up. And then if the show's Friday, you know, you wake up, get everything ready for the show. It comes to, you know, music sound, printing stuff out, getting lists ready, still matchmaking, promoting, you know, it's the same thing every day. And then tear down the show by 2 a.m., get to the airport by 6 a.m., fly home, be pretty worthless for a day, zombie my way to kids' sports games, watch my kids fall asleep, if I get done with my work, go on a date with my wife and go see a movie, pass out some more. <laughs> like, it's just like, a, you know, it's just, and we just do the same thing every week. Which yes. is how it works. And you've got it down to a cycle at this point. Yeah, I mean, it, it really is just like every other job. It's just a lot more hours, you know. Yeah. But they're flexible hours, you know. I mean, it's like, you know, I... I can do whatever I want whenever I want. It's just if I don't do what I need to do, then all that stuff I just said starts leaving. Like there goes the there goes the date night with your wife. There goes the being able to go to your kids' sports games. There goes the being able to sleep at night. There go you know what I mean? So it's like literally one thing at a time goes if I don't get my job done. Yeah, yeah. Like it all sort of like bleeds from one one thing to the next. The hardest thing for me is the, there goes the training. <laughs> like when I get behind and you, and you can't go train. And it's like, God damn it, I can't go to class today. I can't go to strength and conditioning. I don't have time to go to the chiropractor. I have to wake up at 6 a.m. I have to stay up till 2 a.m. And I've been pretty good this year about that. I haven't, it really hasn't happened yet this year because I've been on top of my stuff. But there was a lot of times last year where there was a lot of sleepless nights. Yeah. You know? And I, I'm definitely getting a lot better at it. You know, okay. Well, that's okay. good. Hey, uh, just quickly, I, I know you're I know you're busy over there. Can you just quickly tell me how did you transition? I'm okay. okay. How did you um? Y- you were a judo guy and a wrestler guy and a wrestler. 
How did you um like how'd you find your way to jujitsu? Um, you know, I, I quit doing judo. I, I quit wrestling in high school. Like, I won a state title, and then I went to high school nationals, and I got murked. And I was <laughs> like, I'm not doing this in college. Because yeah. I was, depending, I was like, am I going to wrestle in college, or am I going to do judo? You know what I mean? Okay. And, um, <laughs> and uh, I went to high school nationals in, in wrestling, and I lost to Frankie Edgar, like, really badly in the first round. No shit, small and world. And then I lost to Dallas on the backside and I realized like that day because I only wrestled two years I just used my judo pretty much to win a state championship and I I finally left Texas and got to see like what wrestling really was and I and where I stood and I was like I, I'm not good at this yeah. like I'm good enough to win a state championship in Texas but I, I'm going to be wrestling in Juco or D3 I'm not, in Kentucky I'm not doing that shit you know and so I, I went and uh, I, I went to judo and then, you know, I, I just, I didn't want to do judo anymore. Like I said, because the, my hands and the injuries and my lack of belief in myself. And, you know, I, I never intended on doing jujitsu. I really didn't. I went to my tattoo shop and was talking about how much of a badass I was, you know, while I was getting tattooed because how are they going to prove that I wasn't, you know? Yeah, yeah. And at the time, Josh was like a four-stripe purple belt. And you know how it is. Some, you meet some motherfucker at a bar or a restaurant or anywhere you go nowadays that talks about how tough they are. What are you going to do? Yeah. You're going to invite him down to the gym. Yeah. Come on down. Right? Come on down. Let's that's get a rolling. Yeah. Do. That's what I do. Yeah. I do it every day. You know? And so that's what I did. And I went down there and I was hooked on the first day. I was like, I love this. Yeah, did you get you know? your, did you get your uh, did you get your did you get your ass beat pretty bad at first, or was like the judo enough to like carry you? You know, over? I was able to handle my own, um, but I was kind of a I was kind of a spaz white belt to be honest with you. <laughs> you know, I I went way too hard. Um, I went way too hard with everybody. I tried to kill everybody. Yeah, that was my thing you know? too. That was my thing too. I just tried to kill everybody. Like I was like double legging, like like middle aged, like accountants you know didn't matter double egg yeah yeah and i mean i killed everybody when i was a white belt you know i mean i don't i think maybe i lost a match as a white belt you know and then i started getting into mma fighting and that really is what humbled me because i got the shit beat out of me oh and shit. i was like man this is this is terrible i hate this i i don't know what it was i think maybe partly it was you know being in judo you don't get touched in the face at all <laughs> And, uh, you know, I got hit in the face a bunch and broke my nose and my jaw. And I was like, man, I can't do this. Like, <laughs> I didn't want to hit people because my hands were always hurt. And I, I hated it. And then um, after, you know, my little stint in MMA, I just went to jiu-jitsu full time. And, but it was just one of those things where I train a bunch, I get injured, then I get fat and not go back to the gym. And I mean, I, I trained jiu-jitsu for 13 years to get my black belt. You know? Wow. So I'm, it's not one of those things where it was just like, it's been a lot more like this since I started Fight to Win Pro. And now that jujitsu is like my entire life to where I'm definitely a lot more committed to it um, yeah. you know, than, I, than I was before. Yeah, because you're always, I, you're always was, in rooms I, full I, of jujitsu people. Changed teams. I changed teams as a two-stripe brown belt. And ever since I've been at my new team, I've just, 
it's much more of a team atmosphere than what I was used to in the past. And where were you, you before, know, like, and, and where are you now? I was at a Higa Machado school, and uh, and now I'm at Easton. And oh. I've been there for about two years, and I got my black belt under Easton. And um, it's just it's much more of a of a family, and it's much more of a team than anything I've ever been a part of since. I mean all the way back to living at the Olympic training center and being, you know, in a high school wrestling team, like we'd cross train together. We, we do strength and conditioning together. Um, we hang out together. We do a lot of them work for me. They support my events. It's just, it's one of those things where it's like, it really is like a family, you know? And I love going there. It's like, I get to go there and, you know, bullshit from with my friends. And it's just one of those things where it's like, I look forward to going there. Yeah. It's a party. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think, I think that really has, a lot to do with with all of this is just you know just being able to um um you know have a, a sanctuary of somewhere to go you know were you not looking forward to going to your old school i mean without putting them down or anything like just sort of like the vibe wasn't there for you you had a bad you like, know uh, like, like fit or kind of my old school had uh i was under dave ruiz who's a um was a black belt under higa machado and then she left the school um, over a legal issue, and um, when he left, everything, like, we had, like, six schools, and then it kind of split in half, where, like, three schools were, like, sided with him, three schools sided with the other guy, and uh, I was kind of stuck in the middle, and, um, like, all my training partners kind of left and went and became black belts, started their own schools, or started going somewhere else, and... I had all these surgeries like two years ago. I had my hand operated on for like the 30th time. And then I had um, this major surgery and I came back and like everyone I knew was gone. Yeah. It was just a different vibe by the and time you were back. Bunch of white belts and blue belts. And he's building he, my, my professor um, at the time. I mean, he's a great guy, dude. I mean, I, I love him. He's a good guy. And he just is phenomenal. And he just kind of was building a new, it was just a new vibe and it, it just, I didn't feel like I belong there anymore. And I'd already been cross training at Easton's cause it's like a block from my house. And I'd been there for, you know, a couple of years, just training two days a week, you know, on, on the open mat days. And, um, it just, it felt more like home. Yeah. And yeah. so I, I made the, the switch over and it was hard, man. I mean, especially like I spent 10 years at that Academy. Yeah, you yeah, know, especially as a, as, hard, a, dude, as, a as a brown belt like too. A lot of times I was the only one competing. I travel across the United States. I was the only one from my school, you know. And it, it was just like I didn't want to join Easton because Easton was the dark side, you know. And it was just <laughs> that's where everybody goes, and that's the big school. And I didn't want to go. I don't want to be part of that, you know. But eventually, all it boils down to is what school's right for you, you know. I mean, it, it that that's really all that that I see, you know. It, 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 it doesn't matter how big or small the school is. If, you, if the vibe feels right and that feels like family, then that's where you should be going. It doesn't really matter, you know? And for me, it's, that's the school that I'm at right now. You ever think about opening up your own school? I mean, you're a black belt. You've, you clearly have so much passion Whoa, for, for, for the no. sport. No. I hate teaching. I hate teaching so much. I turn down seminars all the time that people want to pay me thousands of dollars to teach them how to do foot sweeps and twisters and shit like that. I have zero interest. I don't even want to teach a move during class, let alone teach my own class 
let alone run my own school. That sounds like the absolute worst thing to me in the entire world. No shit. Why is that? School. It seems like so much fun. I would, I would rather beg on the street for money than have to teach a fucking jujitsu class. Oh my god. I, I absolutely despise it. I do not. I, I learned a bunch of the shit I do on my own because of my injuries. I have had to change my game to make things work for me. Nobody taught me how to do the majority of my techniques, so I can't teach them. And trying to teach stuff that isn't normally taught to people, especially white and blue belts, I would rather fucking kill myself. <laughs> it is the worst thing in the world, and I would never, ever, ever want to run an academy. And I think that people that do it are true heroes, because I think it is the worst job in the entire world. You know, it sounds like That's how I feel. <laughs> it sounds like you're um, almost having like you sound a little bit like how you sounded when you were describing um, promoting MMA, like almost like you know, God yeah, bless the people who I do just, it, but I, I won't do I, it. I used to teach one class a week. That's literally like it's not like I did it for a long time. I just hate it. <laughs> I don't like like people ask me all the time, um, uh, like they'll come up to me and during class, like, how do you that come on? I'm like, I don't know. Go ask your professor. Like, go ask him how to fucking do it. I'm like, I don't want to show you. Like, <laughs> just, I just don't like doing it, man. Yeah. Like, I also don't like running and I don't like, you know, fucking eating vegetables. It's just one of those things where I hate it and I don't want to do it. And I'm not going to do it. Yeah. And it's funny that seminar thing cracks me up because people will be like, why don't you do a seminar? I'm like, why don't you just buy a private from your professor? Because you'll retain more doing that than you will from going to some seminar and learning six moves that you're never going to remember any of, anyways. Yeah, a lot of the seminar, a lot of the seminar scene to me just seems like a like a revenue enhancement for for certain people. Like I'm not sure how much you're really going to learn at a seminar. Yeah, well, I mean, some seminars are great. I'm just saying my seminar's not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I literally made a video and I showed everybody how to do what I do in six minutes. And I, I don't know why they can't just watch the YouTube video. It's the same thing. Yeah. I'm not going to do anything different. So I don't see the point of hosting a seminar, you yeah. know? And that's the worst part about seminars is white belts. Like, Jesus Christ, why the fuck are you here? You yeah. want to learn how to do uh, the Rick James foot sweep when you can't even do a double leg, when you can't even pass the guard? Fucking go home. Like, why are you wasting my time? I'd rather do a fucking private lesson with a couple of black belts and show some moves than try to teach white and blue belts fucking anything. It's horrible. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't know how people do it. That kind of sounds like again, like the like the selfishness that you were talking about with MMA, right? Where it's like the MMA fighter is like, oh, just give me a fight, give me, give me, give me. And now in in BJJ, there's kind of like, oh, teach me this fancy move, teach me that fancy move. When you don't even know how to pass guard, like you want to learn the Baron Bolo before you can pass guard. You know, like you want to learn to, to to do these foot sweeps before you can do a double. It's kind of like, to, to me, I'm kind of seeing some like some similarities there, right? Like people just want and want and want instead of like, you know, putting in the hard work. Um, I, I, no, I mean, I, I don't think I, I don't think there's anything wrong with going to seminars. I'm just saying I don't like teaching them. Yeah. Like I, I just, you know, I just I, I feel like people's m money is better spent elsewhere on other people than me because my move is literally you can watch it on youtube and learn it it's really easy and it just takes a lot of practice and time and i, do, I just don't like teaching man. i don't know i get that everybody yeah i have a lot and there's a lot of black belt black belts 
um, out there that are just like me that don't like teaching. Like, Yamato's got a handful of them. I know he does. You know, they, they don't want to teach. They don't want to do that. They just want to be students. And I'm having a lot more fun being a I have a lot more fun being a student. You know, that's why I think it's a lot harder for professors to take fights on my show or to compete at IBJJF or any of them because they don't get to learn anymore. Like, it's harder to, for, for, for professors to learn than it is for, for students, you know. And, I, you know, I, I'm, I, I feel – I still don't feel – I mean, I feel like I'm – obviously, I'm beating – I'm winning black belt matches, but I'm still a baby in my black belt. I've got so much to learn and so much to improve on. Mm, yeah, yeah. I feel the same way. Like, I, I'm a brown belt now, and I almost feel like – like how, <laughs> like, how, you know what I mean? Like a, I'll, I'll be rolling and I'll just feel like I'll make like such a basic technical error and I'll be like, how the fuck are you a brown belt? Like, like you should be ashamed of yourself. You made a small error. You made a, you should know this shit already, you know? Um, but I think, you know, we're all I can't even pass guard. I can't pass close guard. Why do you think I allow slams <laughs> in my shows? That's where that came from. <laughs> Cause I can't pass close guard. My hands are so messed up. I can't, I can't, it's the way I can't hold the D when people have me trapped like that. So I just like, well, I'm just going to pick people up and slam them. And then eventually their guard will up. And that's literally why I created that rule was for myself. That's hella funny. You know, which is probably the most popular and unpopular thing at Fight to Win Pro. I love it, man. I fucking love it. I think you should penalize guard. Pulling. I love it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, Hey, let me ask. Like, let me ask you something I though. Since like I want people to do whatever they want, yeah, that's the best part about jujitsu. Wait, let me ask Play your own game. Let me but ask you something though. Boring and it sucks. You know, it's up to you. From a um, because you are in charge of promoting it as a product, right? Um, I'd like to talk to you a little mm -hmm. bit about promoting promoting grappling as a product. Um, I've been thinking about this a little bit because I sort of like volunteer. You know, I help coach coach wrestling here locally in Sacramento. And like, man, like wrestling as a product, you know, to get people excited about could use some work, man. I feel like the singlets, you know, there's no reason that can't be a rash guard in shorts uh, just to get, just to get, make that's changing. That's already, that's already changing nationwide though. Yeah. Most open tournaments, most open tournaments. I, I used to coach high school wrestling for 10 years too, but most high, most high school tournaments are um, open tournaments. Freestyle and Greco are switching to allow the rash guard short combination. Yeah. And I think that's probably within the next five years that will be the standard yeah i hope so it just it just looks better i think you know especially for like young kids you know you don't want young kids feeling like awkward in a singlet you know um but, yeah and then the other one too though is that like if you go to a wrestling tournament they can't like they literally can't tell you what time they're up there's no they have no idea you know like because they run those those brackets well that depends to each on other. the quality of that depends on the quality of wrestling tournament that you go to as well. You know, I, I'm, I'm partners in uh, a wrestling company called RMN events and we do tournaments all over the United States and we run on track wrestling and we spent the hundred thousand dollars on having the track wrestling scoreboards and running the tournament properly. But that goes back to step one doing and where you spend your money on tournaments. If you're going to spend $60 to go to a crappy tournament with crappy medals of people that didn't invest in infrastructure, then you're going to have a bad experience. Yeah. And that's basically what it comes down to. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a, like the high school wrestling scene, right? It's like, they, they just, they just don't know what they're doing. Um, at least for like the, like the CIA well, like mean, here in, but that goes here in high school. State. You're talking about, yeah. In the state, you're talking about state run organization yeah. and you know how difficult it is to get, 
a school district to invest, you know, $5,000 per mat in a track wrestling setup. You have to get private companies to run it. But a Chassa or anybody, uh, 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 UIL, is never going to allow a private entity to run a state-sponsored organization. Mm. It'll never happen. So mm. it's just it's a matter of budgeting, and it's a matter of the school districts getting the money for wrestling. And while you have maybe 500 people go to a wrestling event, you, in Texas, you've got 30,000 people going to a high school football game. Where do you think the fucking money's going to go? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's going to the football. You know what I'm saying? It's going to the $6 million stadium. That's where it's going because they've earned the money. That's where the field house, they're going to get the field house. They're going to get the new equipment. We're going to get the $20 fucking singlet. And that's how it's going to be until wrestling starts pulling in more money and more kids are wrestling because it, when you have, you know, 200 kids try out for high school freshman football and you have 16 freshman wrestlers come out, what, what do you expect is going to happen? Yeah. Yeah. What do you, um, your, your, your children, are they, are they grappling? Are they going to grapple? Do you care if they grapple? Like what, how does jujitsu fit in um, as a lifestyle my, for your family? My youngest is only four and a half and he's been to a couple jujitsu classes, but he's not, um, he's like bouncing off the walls. Like he's not ready yet. Yeah. Um, yeah. my nine year old is a gray belt in jujitsu and my 11 year old is a team sports monster. So he's like probably the best fifth grade football player in the state. Wow. And he's a quarterback linebacker. He's a catcher. He's an all-star catcher. He's an all-star point guard. And it's just not really, he tried it a little bit. They wrestled for a few years. He wasn't really into it. Um, you know, he, he loves the team sports, and that's what he wants to do. I honestly could give a shit. I don't care what they do, as long as they do something. And as long as they're doing sports four to five days a week, I don't care. I don't give a shit what they do. You that's, know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But so for you as a dad, you, you don't feel like you, you don't feel like you have to be like your kid has to wrestle for you to feel like like oh like good he's wrestling like that's that's actually I think that's actually really healthy. I've seen, I think we've all seen a lot of like overzealous jujitsu and wrestling parents are like, no, you will wrestle, you know? And then the kid is like, Oh my God, I don't even really want to do this. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't care what sport they do. As long as everything they do, they give a hundred percent. I do not give a shit what they do, but they will do sport. They do. I make them do sports at least four days a week, regardless of what sport they choose to do is on them. But I mean, this is an, this is an athlete household. There's never going to be an option where they can't just do, where they can just not train or do sports. It's never, ever, 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 ever going to happen in my household. But they can pick and do whatever they want. And I do not coach them in anything that they do. And I never will. Yes, you don't want to cross that you know, line with them? Makes it a lot well, it makes it a lot easier because my dad was my coach and me and my dad have a horrible relationship. And, um, you know, so, you know, it, it's a lot easier, I think, as a parent to turn over the reins and you be the, you be the parent and let someone else be the dickhead coach, <laughs> you know, let, let, let be, be the person they can complain to not the person they complain about, you know, and you just have to find the right place. Like I, I a hundred percent believe in my coach my kids coaches at Easton. Like I trust my kids with them a million percent, you know, and I don't, I don't coach from the sideline. I don't coach at tournaments. I don't have to because I'm in a, we have a great program, 
you know, and the, the kids there, um, you know, they, they're lucky and they have great coaches. You just got to find a place where, where you should go. But I don't think you should ever coach your own children. I think it's a recipe for disaster. Very cool. Very cool. Sage, sage advice from, uh, sage advice from the master. Hey brother, um, we're getting, we're getting at a pretty close to an hour here. So just to, just to wrap up with you and thank you so much for, for, you know, taking the time for me. Cause, um, you're a real influencer in the sport, man. And like you're, 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 to me, you're a big deal. Um, just, uh, just shout outs, just wrapping up, man. Who, who's, who's sort of like helped you put this thing together? Who do you, I mean, you know, and, and, and if it's, if it's all you, that's okay too. But, um, I don't know if you just, if you just kind of want to like acknowledge the, the, the folks that you rely on, I think that'd be cool. Um, and then also, yeah. you know, any big my shows whole, they got coming my whole up, team, my team, no sleep crew. I mean, we've been together. Um, there's, there's eight of us. Um, seven of us have been together now for two years, you know, the same, uh, almost two years for some of them, um, grinding, you know, with me, you know, on the road, those two days, those two days are an insane two days. It's like 48 hours of straight work. Like, with, you know what I mean? And yeah, they do yeah. it without complaining, without without anything, you know. I mean, um, Missy puts in so much time and in assisting me in in the fighter gathering information and keeping our costs down as much as possible, so we have more money to pay the athletes. You know, it, it really is huge. It's a it's a huge thing, and everyone on my crew, they, you know, everybody has their own job, and everybody pretty much is their own boss. You know, there's really. Nobody has to tell. I'm, re, I'm really lucky because I don't have to tell anybody what to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's yeah. like I, I'm I'm blessed where it's like everybody knows what to do. Everybody does their job. There's very little direction that has to be given, like ever. You know, and that's like I, for someone that used to have to manage a thousand people and like tell everybody what to do all day every day. It, I think that's one of the things that makes a job so enjoyable. It's like I can do my job and do my, my part and know that everything else is getting done and I don't have to do anybody else's job for them. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And I, it, it, it's, a, it's a rare thing to be able to find loyal people that will stick by you, you know, when things are good or when things are bad because things have been really bad for us and they stuck through it and, you know, they're all still there. We've only, we've only lost one person and I don't know, we've lost two two people since we started this and you know it was good riddance both of them <laughs> it wasn't like a big loss but um they were, they were like additions to the crew they were never part of it you know what i mean yeah and yeah. um it's just one of those things man i'm I'm lucky to have a a loyal crew of homies that um you know are ride or die you know so uh, i'm lucky for that and um you know everybody that supports the event and everybody that talks shit about us you know, um, as long as they're talking, you know, it's like easy. He said, all publicity is good publicity. There you we go. don't give a fuck if you're talking bad. Just keep talking. There you go. Well, Seth, it's been a pleasure talking to you, man. The no I, I would have to say you're the number one hustler in jujitsu. And I, I mean that, oh, I mean, thanks. that as a compliment, man. I'm, um, I'm just so tremendously happy that you exist in the, in the, in the space. So thank you for what you do, brother. Thanks for, thanks, th man. yeah. All right, brother. Have a good night. You too, brother. Thanks. Have a good one.